Hi there, and welcome to the Engage Employee Podcast. There is an irrefutable body of evidence which proves that organisations with engaged employees have more engaged customers and as a result gain long-term competitive advantage. The cultural and commercial benefits of organisations taking a holistic view of their employee and customer engagement strategies are proven. For over a decade, we've helped some of the world's biggest brands engage with their workforce through our industry-leading conferences and online digital media. To find out more, visit engageemployee.com. In this episode, we sit down with Akita Samani, SVP Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Champion at Alvo. Akita has over 21 years of international experience in retail financial services and payments. Akita was shortlisted for the Women in Payments 2021 Advocate for Women Award for EMEA. We speak to Akita about what it's like to work at Avalon and more about recent projects and future plans. So I'm just going to get you quickly, um, Akita, just to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your role, your route to where you are now, and a little bit about your company for those who are not familiar with Elevon, because I have to admit, I did have to Google you. <laughs> That's perfect. Uh, thanks, Charlotte. So um, I'll start with the company first. So we are part of a large American bank called US Bank, and we're the merchant services of the payments arm of US Bank, um, and we're branded as Elevon. I have a day job, uh, which is leading, setting up our Buy Now, Pay Later program globally across the US and Europe. And uh, the way diversity, equity, and inclusion is structured in our organization, we have a fully-fledged, dedicated DEI team. We do have our HR organization, learning and development, supporting that agenda. But we have this unique structure of having 15 champions globally embedded in the business to drive the diversity, equity, inclusion strategy and vision forward and actually bring it to life. Okay, that's really interesting because I don't know whether you caught what I was saying at the end about my husband being given the job of well-being and it not being ingrained, so it not being something that he's fully able to, to do. But clearly it's something that your bank is, is obviously able to do brilliantly. Okay, so has well-being only become more important in the new hybrid and remote work environment, or does it go beyond that? Yeah, it's interesting you ask that, right? I think well-being has always been important. Um, I think it has come to the fore, right to the top of the house, in this new environment that has struck us. One, because the effects of the pandemic have been way beyond what any of us imagined, not just in terms of the physical health mm. and not being able to travel and being in lockdowns, but the impact it's had on people's well-being overall has obviously made everyone sit up and take notice. So um, one of my dear friends and ex-colleagues who now heads up human resources at one of the world's largest banks said to me that pre-pandemic, she had a difficult time convincing the board that well-being, employee well-being is critical and we need to have structured programs to make that a part of our day-to-day. And as soon as the first lockdown hit, she had absolutely no trouble convincing them that they needed to go ahead with the best of their employee assistance programs. And what kind of employee assistance programs were they? So um, you have the standard employee assistance program where you can actually call anonymously um, in terms of a helpline who can then guide you not just to through mental health concerns, 
but also through you know, financial assistance and the like. And if required, you can then be set up for face-to-face you know, -face counseling sessions or other support that may be required to restore your well-being. Now, the key USP of these programs is your manager or even your HR business partner would never know that you access this program because the provider only gives anonymous data saying X number of people access the program, none of your details are passed on, which means that you feel absolutely safe and confident knowing that this will not be looked down upon or connected to your work performance at all. If you choose not to talk about it, I think Danny mentioned this right before saying, you know, some people feel comfortable sharing a lot of things and some people don't. And I think it's important to give employees that space. Okay, so in your organization, how do you think about creating a truly diverse and inclusive environment with well-being center stage to that? So diversity has been around for a long while. There's been a lot of work that's been done on it, especially I think on the gender front. And then now in the UK in particular, there's a lot more work being done to incorporate other minority groups uh, into the working culture, the regulators on it. So, so there's a lot of work being done on diversity. That's not good enough. You need to create an environment within the organization which provides equitable opportunities to everybody in mm -hmm. the organization from a career as well as a personal development perspective. But I think the real proof is, are you able to create an inclusive environment where everyone feels like they're valued, respected, they have a sense of belonging in the organization? That's where well-being comes in. If you feel like you belong, that you, your work creates value to the organization that you work in, and as an individual you are heard and respected, that's what contributes to well-being. And actually, I've just noticed something really interesting. We were talking to um, Paul Dean, and he's head of diversity and inclusion for NHS employers, and he was talking about the importance of language in DEI. And I've noticed that you are you're a, you're a diversity, equity, and inclusion champion, whereas the other people we're speaking to are diversity and equality and inclusion. What what's the, what do you see as the difference between? I mean, I kind of know what it is, but it'd be interesting to. Yeah, there's some interesting illustrations out there on the internet, and, and I would really encourage you to Google those. Equality is giving the same opportunities to everyone. Equity is making the, uh, acknowledging the fact that not everybody has the same access to those opportunities yeah. or the abilities or the confidence to take advantage of those opportunities. So equity really is creating a level playing field, knowing you need to work harder with certain groups of people or individuals to bring them to the same level in which they can truly access those opportunities that are out there. Thank you. I think that's a really important definition. I don't know whether anyone's this reveals my love of trash culture, but Molly Molly May from Love Island, you know her statement that you know everyone's got the same 24 hours. Do you remember the like the big hoo-ha that caused? And you know, and that actually, in a weird way, sums up exactly what Akika means about the difference between equality and equity. Do you know about that? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> we won't go into cancel culture today. Let's not talk about Love Island. <laughs> okay, so where does the responsibility for this vision for a truly diverse, equitable and inclusive culture and the execution sit? Where is it? Is it senior leaders? Is it line managers? Is it the employees? Yeah, I think that's a brilliant ask, right? Traditionally, it's been assumed that this all sits with human resources. Human resources is accountable for setting employee policies, developing the culture, 
and then you know handing it off in terms of policies and programs, you know, be it the EAP program or something similar. There needs to be buy-in right at the top. Management needs to buy into the fact that employee well-being is critical to how the business performs. This is not just a good thing to do. This is good for business. Let's all be super <laughs> clear on this, right? Employee well-being leads to productivity, leads to greater value created in the business, and that is why diversity, equity, and inclusion is important. It needs management buy-ins, it needs HR, learning and development, and other areas of expertise to pitch in to create structured programs, but it needs to sit within the business, the day-to-day, -day, the DNA of how we operate to make it a success. Brilliant. Okay, and as a DEI champion, kind of two questions really. To what extent are you, do you have the influence over senior leaders to be having these conversations? And what role do you play as, as a champion? And how do you find the time? <laughs> so I think you've got to have the passion for this, right? You have to really believe that this creates an impact and makes a difference. Yeah, where did your passion come from? So I grew up in Nigeria and India, and since have worked in um, the Middle East, I worked in Singapore, I worked in the UK, yeah. I'm actually moving over to the US this summer. Yeah. So having worked in all of these different environments, I un for me, diversity is something that came to me naturally. It was always common to have different people around me, both at work and outside of work. And then you come to a place and you start thinking, why, why is everybody talking about this? Why is this not already happening? And that's when you think that you can come in and add your perspective and your passion and make it happen. In terms of, you know, this definitely has executive buy-in. And therefore, as a DEI champion, I work with the vice chair of the business line to execute some of these initiatives. So resources, stakeholder attention, we have all of that. I think my role really is as a catalyst, as an ambassador, as an advocate. We just spoke about advocacy a yeah. while back, right? So that's what my role is. I take this, I embed it into the business lines that we work in and keep calling out the behaviors and the objectives that we want to drive and keep pushing towards that. None of these things happen overnight and that kind of reflects in how do you measure this, right? It's employee pulse surveys. We've done actually four of them last year, which give you a sense. And when you look at them quarter over quarter over quarter for eight quarters, you start to see the difference saying employees, 90% of our employees and more say they can be themselves at work. I think that is kind of a stellar representation of are you making a difference? There is a lot more to do in terms of creating that feeling of inclusion and belonging. But getting that employee input is very critical to shaping the structure of this because it's very easy to do a tick the box. Mm -hmm. Here are the right things we should do. We should bring in more diverse slates. We should bring in people from different backgrounds and experiences, demographics. That doesn't solve the point about creating a culture where everyone wants to come to work every day. And I think getting that employee input is important to keeping it real. You, you touched on behaviors. And I want to ask you, how do you empower your people to call out when they're seeing behavior that is anti-diversity, equity, and inclusion? So a couple of things. Uh, I think psychological safety is key to creating an inclusive environment. 
we've done a few things. So we rolled out a couple of programs focusing on psychological safety as well as inclusion in particular. We started with managers and coaching them on how to build those environments in their teams. And then we cascaded it to all employees. It's a self-paced learning module. It's not like the boring presentation trainings that we do on a regular basis. It's so interactive. It's immersive. Exactly. It's yeah. got TED Talks. It's got team exercises. Yeah. It's got all of those things. And we put massive effort into that, and especially coaching that mid-level of leadership in how do they actually embed this in their day-to-day -day operation within the team and give people the tools and the confidence to create that environment of psychological safety. We've gone a little bit further down. This year in January, we trained 60 um, employees across the board. We um, got them to certify as mental health first aiders. So they're able to actually pick up signs like here today. <laughs> um, of you know, things going wrong with within the environment with their colleagues, even before it really becomes a concern for the employee themselves. Mm. Okay, brilliant. Um, so what are some of the other practical ways that your organization is enhancing employee well-being? Yeah, so in addition to these things that I just spoke about, there are a number of avenues for our employees to actually engage and um, contribute to this vision and to the execution of it. We've got employee resource groups we call them business resource groups, which represent the different segments and the voices. And it's not just about hosting a whole bunch of events, it's surfacing those voices to actually talk about the opportunities that they have from a career development perspective, so internal focus, but also a community focus, and how can we contribute to the communities that we live and operate in, which brings a huge sense of purpose. Yeah. Um, and, and that is super important in the environment that we operate in currently. In addition to that, employees have got access to a range of different development programs, which are not based purely on manager nominations and the like. It is based on the employees charting their own career development plan mm -hmm. and being helped to access those programs. So we've almost well, mandated is probably not the right word to use, but we've strongly encouraged each employee last year to create their own version of a development plan in our HR tool, which is called Workday, mm -hmm. so that their managers and their talent consultants can proactively help them on the path that they want to pursue, which I think, again, is a huge contributor to creating equity and inclusion and making them feel fulfilled. Brilliant. Um, this question that struck me, just going back to psychological safety, is there a difference between uh, psychological safety in the virtual world versus in person? You know, that, that's a brilliant question. <laughs> I think there are some commonalities. Whether you're sitting in a room, like a meeting ten, with 10 people yeah. in a room, or you're in a virtual environment, sometimes we miss the quietest people in the room. Right? It's, it's the people who have a louder voice or have more to contribute who, who get noticed, yes. and irrespective of whether you're in a physical or a virtual situation. Mm. The advantage that a virtual situation has provided is you all have that factor or that big equalizer of being a square on the screen. Exactly what Chris and I said. The and democratization I, of, the, of the meeting room. Absolutely. Mm. And we've resorted to tools like if you need to speak when someone's presenting, 
you've got to put your hand up and wait your turn mm. to speak, right? Which means that people are not talking over each other and everyone gets a chance to contribute. As part of our journey to inclusion and other programs around psychological safety, one of the other practices we've embedded is you have to call on people at specific points in the conversation to provide their perspective because they are unlikely to, if not asked. So to bring people actively into conversations without trying to make them uncomfortable, yeah. but knowing the right point to bring them in to give their valuable perspective. It's a skill, isn't it? It's something, I, I, and I was talking with Chris about this earlier, it's something that I've found very interesting about the virtual meeting, especially as a woman, and I don't know whether other, any other women relate to this, is I feel like the workspace is being democratized. No longer the CEO sits at the top inserting his masculinity into the space, and we've all been reduced to, to rectangles. And it's oddly just made me feel so much more empowered in, in meetings. And I just, it's a really, it's really interesting. I mean, that, it's a super, and I'll give an example, right? Pre, so I joined the organization a year before the pandemic yeah. hit. And historically, if I could not fly out to the US or you know, the, another location in Europe for that meeting, I would be sort of left out because yeah. I would be joining, dialing in on a call and everybody else would be in that room, not really worried about whether I can hear them, whether I can participate. Sure. This has changed the landscape completely in terms of more participation because everything is virtual now, so anybody can join from any part of the world. You're seen, you're heard, you have an opportunity to be a part of what matters. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? All these kind of unexpected Benefits, I don't want to use that word because that seems trite. You know, the pandemic has been horrendous, but actually there have been some really interesting silver linings. And giving sort of, you know, the power, yeah, getting unseen voices heard and the democratization. And there's, there are, yeah, it's very, very interesting, isn't it? Fascinating. Okay, so what are some of the learnings that your organization in particular has had on this journey? I think the biggest is you've got to steer away from the quotas and the tick the box. Mm. The, these are the good things to do, let's do them because it'll create great PR and great stories. You've got to go back continually to what employees are telling you, what mm -hmm. you're hearing from them. Is it making an impact? So you really have to move beyond the quotas and the tick the box. Yeah. The other thing is you can end up trying to do too much. But if you focus on two or three things that are going to create the greatest value for your employees and for the communities that you operate in, that is more important than doing 10 things and not making any difference. Yeah, I think that's a really valuable learning for business in general, isn't it? Just pick, pick a few things and do them brilliantly, Ross, well, apart from trying to do a lot of things pretty averagely. Uh, we've only got a minute left. This has been such a pleasure. Uh, I'm just going to ask you really quickly if you can sure. sum up what you think um, as being the future of well-being, diversity and inclusion. Okay, so yeah. we're in this new hybrid world and we have got to continually make a conscious, deliberate effort to listen to people, I think Danny said that just before me, you really got to listen, right? We're all in tons of meetings, but if you're not gonna listen to somebody, there's no point asking the question and bring people into the conversation. And each one of us has to do that. It's not the leader of the meeting, your manager, an HR representative. I think each one has the opportunity to make a difference in our team settings and our, in our day to day.